let's, um, let's move into our message called the Holy Spirit. And let me bridge that word that we had right back into this, and then I'm going to pray. I think it's our responsibility that when we sense the Holy Spirit doing something in our lives, we have to make room for that in our lives. Like we pray, and if you love Jesus, if you're a Christ follower, I bet your prayer is, Lord, move in my life, and Lord, answer my prayers, and Lord, speak to me, and Lord, draw me. And I believe that that's God's will and his pleasure, and he wants to do that in your life more than you want to see that happen in your life. And so we find ourselves at spaces and times where suddenly God is coming by and he's moving close and we perceive it. I think he's always doing it, but we don't always perceive it. Does that make sense? And so suddenly you'd almost have to just be like uh, numb to it, to not recognize that God is calling right now and drawing and it's through the Holy Spirit. And so when we, when we detect that, when we sense that, when we feel that and see that, then our job is we must make room for that. And I just want you to consider this. If the role were switched suddenly and you had to stand up here, and here's my job right at this moment. Let me define it for you, right? I've got a room full of people multiplied in services that are all over the board spiritually. I've got some that are way ahead of me. They have walked with the Lord for longer than I've been alive. They love him. They know him. They have been taught. They, they are studied and they are advanced when it comes to the things of God. And then I've got people who are right where I'm at in life. They, you've walked with the Lord for a long period of time, but maybe not your whole life. And you love him and you know things about him and you're open to the Holy Spirit, right? And then I've got people who are in this room who are very novice and new to this. They don't understand any of this. And uh, in fact, maybe I've got people who are afraid of this. Maybe your upbringing or your background or somebody else's experience has cautioned you against the idea of the Holy Spirit being active and alive. And so you kind of are like this. So you're me, right? And you've got this, not only in this room, but multiplied in multiple services. How do you take that whole group of people and how do you pull them together, get them at the same place at the same time so we can move forward as a group of people someplace? That's what I'm trying to do right now. So I'm going to ask you for two things. One, I want you to make room right now for the Holy Spirit. Can we agree to do that? We'll make room. Whatever that means to you, make room for the Holy Spirit. And two, can you trust me? Yes. Like I heard about, you know, a third of the congregation. <laughs> yeah. Like, Some ask one more time. Can you trust me right now? Yes. Can you let me be your pastor? And can you open your heart so that I can instruct you right now? Because it's all voluntary. And it's all about you being willing to let me teach you and lead you right now and give the Holy Spirit opportunity. And so I just believe that God wants to bridge something and do something really good for us. I just think it's not just simply a planting time, but it's a reaping time right now, folks. It's a rare time in life and, and in place. And we have a chance to see God do something really remarkable. And I'm excited about that. And I want to pastor that and lead it. But you've got, like, somebody told me a long time ago, if you think you're leading and you turn around and nobody's there, call it what it is. You're taking a walk. <laughs> you lead when people are with you. And I'm not interested. Look, real quick. I'm not interested in going any place by myself. I want you to go with me. I want to do this together. Does that make sense? So I'm asking you, look, would you do this? Would you suspend disbelief for just a little bit? It's so easy to be unbelieving and it can be hard to be believing. Can we right now, regardless of our, can we just suspend unbelief and say, God, I believe and I make room for you right now. Teach me. So Father, I believe that there's agreement in this room. I believe that there's unity in this room. God, I believe there's opportunity in this room for you to do something really remarkable today. 
And so, Lord, man, I get out of the way. This is yours. It's your time. It's about you. It's about what you want to do, Father. Lord, just as a guide, I know it's not about me. I know people aren't supposed to be looking at me. I'm a guide to show them you and to show them what you want to do. So God, I get out of the way right now. And Lord, I just reveal you and I reveal what you want to do. Father, what an opportunity for you today. Holy Spirit, bridge that gap. Make it real. Make it true. Lord, draw people from all different backgrounds and all different places in life. Draw us together, Lord, as your people, as a family, so that we can together pursue you, Lord. Find you, know you. Lord, I thank you for this moment in time. I just pray you'd protect it, Lord, that the enemy would find no inroad, no place to sow a tear, and no way to bring harm to it. Father, let it just be pure and undefiled and move towards you. And I bless that in Jesus' name. If you agree with me, say amen. Say amen. All right, like you're me, you've got to teach this message, first message. It's really wide. I'm trying to bring everybody, realizing that we're in many different places. How do I bring us all together? What scripture would you use to teach about the Holy Spirit right now? Maybe you're just like, that's why I'm not doing what you do, John. That's your job. Okay, so let me show you the one that I picked, sort of my text for this weekend. It's a good beginning place to recognize that there is a trinity, that each of them have a work that they do, and that it's not complete. It's not the only work that they do, but it describes part of the work that, uh, that the trinity does. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Uh, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the what? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So just real quickly, let me give this to you. If someone ever asks you about the Trinity and why you believe in the Trinity and you never see it in the Bible, there it is. Thank you, my mother. I'm going to come over here on this side. If you ever get asked the question, if there's a, can you see it? There's God, there's the Son, and there's the Spirit. Did you see it right there? And then it describes a work of each of them, the love of God. Not just like we use that word so frequently and without real meaning. I love pizza, I love my car, I love my wife. How, I hope it's not all the same, right? It's like, you know, there's a difference there. And when we begin to talk about love and we describe love, this kind of love that God has for us, it's unconditional love. It's supernatural love. It's the love that we were all created to experience and you can't find it anyplace else except in God. So that when we talk about love, man, that's one of God's, that's, that's what he does is he loves us and loves us well and loves all. And then Jesus, the grace of Jesus. How many of you are thankful for the grace of Jesus in your life? Oh my goodness. Where would we be without grace? And grace, by the way, is not some kind of like sloppy thing that covers up when we mess up. Grace is God's power, his activity, his ability at work in our lives so that you're not out there trying to do this Christian life. God is doing it through you. And that's what makes it powerful. And if you find yourself like, I just don't know how to do this and I'm so frustrated or I'm so bored, I would tell you there's not enough grace in your life. You just hear what I said? That's not the message today. And the third one is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's a great beginning place to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean when it says fellowship? So let me describe it this way. Jesus without the Holy Spirit is a 2,000-year-old historical figure who becomes alive, real, and active in our lives in 2021 because of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit makes him real and alive. So when you say, like during worship, I feel the presence of the Lord, what are you actually saying? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit is touching me right now and bringing Jesus into my present life. Does that make sense? It's like it moves. The Holy Spirit is what makes it tangible. It, it makes it warm. It makes it, uh, it, it makes it where you can, you can touch it as though you were smelling it and see it's like real and active. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Why would you say no to the Holy Spirit if that's the work of the Holy Spirit, right? So we welcome that and we want that and we need that. And by the way, can you pull that? Yeah, so may the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I, when I was reading that this week, I thought to myself, a church that's got good balance in it has all three of these things inside of it. It has love, and I believe Jubilee is a place you can experience love. It has grace. I believe our church is built on grace. Do you experience that and feel that here? Golly, I'm going to say that one more time. Just like appease the pastor. Make me feel better about it. Do you experience grace here? Right in the teaching. I hope you do because it's all aimed at grace. And then the last one, fellowship. And I was going to, if I were to critique our church on any of these three, I would say for sure you experience love. uh, For sure you experience grace. But I think the fellowship is where our church lacks a little bit. And it's easy to come and hear a message and then peel off and not experience the fellowship that's in a church. And I know we're talking about spiritual fellowship with the Holy Spirit, but here's what the Bible says. If you love God, then you love people. And if you don't love people, then you really don't love God. Amen. So it plays out a church that's healthy has fellowship, not just this way, but it has fellowship this way. And I ask God to do more and more of that in our church and in our ministry. All right, if you're taking notes uh, and the fill in the blanks online is where you can find these things. And if you're just writing notes or you just have a great memory. Anyway, let me, let me do this. Uh, the first one, let me talk about ongoing experiences with the Holy Spirit. Here's my premise. That people are taught, and rightfully so, and I don't, let's, uh, let me find the right word. Saved, born again, invited Jesus into your heart, given your life to him, whatever your language is for acknowledging that Jesus is the son of God, that it's God's plan for salvation and that you've given your life to him, whatever, la- saved, born again, bowed your knee, whatever language you use, we are taught that when that moment happens, that we are given the Holy Spirit, Right? You have the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption, meaning that how God knows it's authentic and that you really are one of his, he will hold you up and he will check to see if the seal of the Holy Spirit is on your life. Is it genuine? Is it real? So that when you're born again, saved, bow the knee, whatever it is that you, you use language to say that I'm, I'm in a relation, I'm a Christ follower, you get the Holy Spirit. But here's my premise. You get the Holy Spirit at salvation, and it's all that's necessary for salvation, but there are ongoing experiences with the Holy Spirit that you can have every day past salvation. And then if you stop only at salvation, you're missing so much of what God has for you in your life. In fact, if you find yourself today, like I said earlier, you're bored or you're tired or you're just like, I can't make the whole thing work out or I've lost my passion. What you really need is the Holy Spirit to bring fellowship to you again, to ignite your heart again, to make Jesus real and alive and active in you again. 
So I want to talk about ongoing experiences with the Holy Spirit. So let's, here's my premise. Let's think about this. And I know you're, you're like, Pastor, it's Sunday and it's early. Why would you ask me that question? When were the disciples born again? When were they saved? When, when did Jesus, like, when did he ensure heaven for the disciples? Does anybody have any idea? Was it when he said, come and follow me? Too early for you? Holy smokes, folks. Come on. Uh, how about, okay, let's just, let's go there. John chapter 20, 21 and 22. Let me give you the premise. Uh, here's context. So Jesus has been resurrected, but he has not yet ascended to the Father. And for that period of time, a uh, little more than a month, Jesus is appearing to hundreds of people who become eyewitnesses to the fact that God has resurrected him from the dead. And some of the people he appears to are the disciples at different points in times. And so we have this moment where Jesus appears to the disciples and look at what happens here. Again, Jesus said to the disciples, peace be with you as the father has sent me I'm sending you, look at this sentence. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive what? So I contend that the disciples aren't born again until this moment because you can't be born again without the Holy Spirit. It's not about just saying words. The Holy Spirit has to do it in your heart or you're not born again. So the disciples are born again, saved, whatever language you want to use. It happens for them right here. And would you agree with me that if Jesus breathes on you and says, receive the Holy Spirit, it actually happens. This is not like a misfire, a mistake. Maybe it happened. I'm telling you, Ellie, if Jesus came and went, receive the Holy Spirit, you would receive the Holy Spirit. Do you agree with that statement? Right? So let's get this. They receive the Holy Spirit. They're born again. If they die, they're going to heaven because of the work of Jesus. They have the Holy Spirit. But if that's all that God has for them, we should never read again where they're filled with the Holy Spirit for a second time or a third time or a fourth time. It should only be one time if that's all that God has. Do you agree with that? It's really a simple premise. So if I can show you that it happens over and over and over again, then we would have to say God has ongoing experiences for us with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. This is about two to three weeks after Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus also said to them, go to Jerusalem, wait there until the promise from the Father comes because you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so we read about this experience. This is Acts chapter two, about three weeks, four weeks after Jesus had breathed on them, said, receive the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Look at this part right here. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Look, all of them were what? Filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them real quickly. If Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, we all agreed it happened then why does it need to happen again? Because this is not about salvation. This is about ongoing activities and experiences with the Holy Spirit that you can have if you want them. Now listen to this. I think why a lot of people are afraid of the Holy Spirit is this tongue thing gets connected to the activity of the Holy Spirit. And most people, here's what I found in 35 years of pastoring, most people don't have their own experience that they draw on. They usually have someone else tell them about their experience. 
And can I tell you, a really bad way to live life is living it off of someone else's experience, not your experience. You should go by what God's doing in your life, not in somebody else's life. So let me try to explain the Holy Spirit and tongues and the difference. In just a couple of days, Miss Chris will have her birthday and she will be a healthy 29 years old in just a few, a few days. Why do you laugh at that, right? I don't understand. You, you know I'd be in jail if she was only 29. So she's going to have her birthday towards the end of the month. And the natural thing is for me to say to her, Love, what do you want to do for your birthday? And she said, uh, why don't we do a crawfish boil? And now if you're like a crawfish boil, why would anybody want to do that? I would say to you, you have lived a sheltered, protected, and unproductive life up until this point if you have never had a crawfish boil. Now in my family, not all of my children and my grandchildren love crawfish. But crawfish is not the reason to gather. We gather for the fellowship because here's what happens. We boil them, we dump them on a table, and then my children and my grandchildren gather around. And for the next two to three hours, we talk and we laugh and we hang out with each other. And some like the crawfish and some don't like the crawfish. The crawfish is not the reason. The crawfish is the byproduct of the fellowship. The Holy Spirit is the reason. Tongues is a gift that you may or may not experience, may or may not think that you would like it or want it, and it's not the point. The Holy Spirit is the point. So that when we talk about these things, don't draw, well, I'm afraid of this thing. Put, God is not going to jam anything down your throat. He is good and he is faithful and he will lead you as you want to be led. Just like what we said in the beginning of this message. If you were to say to me, I, I don't want to cooperate with you. I can't do anything. All I can do is stand up here and try. And if you don't, you're missing it. So, I, boy, how would I do this right here? Uh, Mom, when I was teaching this message, for the la I used this example. And I don't even know if you will remember this. I think you might remember this. This happened to me 52 years ago. And when I was writing the message, I asked the Holy Spirit, if there's anything that you want to quicken to my memory that I would use to help people understand about the work of the Holy Spirit, do it. So 52 years ago, we're living in New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm six years old. Listen to this story. And there are two big bodies of water, actually three, but two great big bodies of water that border New Orleans. It's called the Crescent City because it, it, the, the Mississippi River meanders through New Orleans and the city itself is like a crescent. To the north is Lake Pontchartrain and to the south is the Gulf of Mexico. And they are two, I mean, huge bodies of water, but completely different. So I'm six. We go on a little Saturday trip to Lake Pontchartrain. Lake Pontchartrain is a huge body of water, but they've built in part of it a seawall that has steps that go right down to the water. So we pull up in the Vista Cruiser. Anybody? Two of us. Oh my goodness. I've misjudged my audience here. Vista Cruiser is not a spaceship. It's an old station wagon. It was the SUV of the day. So we pull up in the Vista Cruiser. I'm excited to go to Lake Pontchartrain. My dad barely has the car in park. I open the door. I jet down the stairs. Boom, 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 boom. I'm going to jump in the water because in my mind, it's only waist deep. And nobody even knows that I've run down the stairs. Listen to this. I jump in the water and I bet it's 20 or 25 feet deep. I go straight down, and I'm shocked. And then I do what most drowning victims do. I panic 
So I bobbed back up and I tried to yell for help, but I sucked water into my lungs. So now I can't scream. Nobody knows I'm down there and the water's doing two things. It goes out and then it comes back. So it's pulling me out and then it slams me against the wall and it pulls me out and it slams me against. So in panic, I reach for the stairs, but they're full of seaweed totally slick and I grab the stair my hand just slips and I grab again and, my, and I'm trying to scream and I keep sucking water in and it's, it's 52 years ago and I can remember it like I'm sitting here looking at you right now if this represents the top of the water I'm I'm down here and I have my hand above the water look at first I'm panicking but all of a sudden I realize I'm gonna die and this great calm came over me and all I, I kept my hand up, but I couldn't even scream anymore. And I, I'm going to die. And all of a sudden, man, this great big hand, this much of my arm is sticking out of the water. This great big hand craps me and yanks me straight up eyeball to eyeball. It's my dad. <laughs> Where have you been, dad? What took you so long? Ah! Man, it was like, I can't describe to you the terror that I felt and the place that I was in and how my father came and rescued me. And that same summer, we did a trip to the Gulf of Mexico. I was much more cautious, <laughs> but a completely different experience. If you know that part of the Gulf, beautiful big beaches, warm body of water, and it's a very shallow, so you walk out and you can go half a mile and it's up to here. Now, I'm not saying that the whole gulf is like that, but in this part, right by Grand Isle, Louisiana, you can walk out quite a distance because it's a very shallow body of water, very warm. Look at me real quickly. Two completely different experiences with a body of water. And the reason that so many are afraid of the Holy Spirit is you believe that an activity of the Holy Spirit is like going and having to jump. And then you throw your hands up and you panic as the Holy Spirit is trying to do something in your life and you're freaking out and you can't even breathe. And what you really need is to understand that your father would grab your hand and pull you up and tell you, that's not how I do things in your life. I'm not about pushing you in. I'm not about making you afraid. And I'm not about taking you into something that you're unprepared for. The Holy Spirit is much more like the situation with the Gulf of Mexico. Whereas you're willing to go in deeper with him, he wants you to go deeper with him. And when you stop, he'll stop. And when you, he will beckon you. Come deeper because there's so much more for you. Come with me. And if you're trusting and you're willing, you can walk deeper. He will never put you in a place where you're gasping for air, hoping that you're going to live. God is a good father yes, and amen. a faithful father. Amen. And he treats us well. So that when I teach this message right now, I don't want you inside to be like this with me and afraid. Pastor John's going to get us to the end and push us in. <laughs> I will not do that to you because that's not what God does to us. As you are willing to go deeper, as you are willing to experience, as you are open to the Holy Spirit doing something new in your life, your father, he wants this for you more than I want this for you and more than you want this for you. He wants this for you. Let me see if I can do this now. All right. Yeah. If you were here, the last time I did that, I whacked my shin on that thing and thought I was dying. Uh, Okay, so we have this second experience. 
can we find another with the same group of people? Acts chapter 4. This is several months after the day of Pentecost. And this is Peter and John who were there when Jesus breathed on them. They received the Holy Spirit. They were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came and filled all of them. And now these same two of the same group are out preaching. Listen to this story. Uh, The powers that be during that time killed Jesus because they were trying to stop the message of salvation that was having such a powerful effect. And these guys, this, this ruling body of religious people, they are threatened by what God is doing and how God is moving through Jesus. He's healing the dead. He's opening blind eyes. He's preaching the gospel and people are flocking to the message and they're threatened. So they think the only way we can handle this, we will kill him and stop the message. So they kill him, but it spreads into thousands of people. And now, not just one person, but hundreds and thousands are preaching this same gospel. And they're healing the sick. And they're raising the dead. How do we stop it now? And so two of the ringleaders are Peter and John. And they see them kind of like leading this movement. And we thought we killed the movement, but it's stronger than ever. So they grab Peter and John and they threaten them. You are not allowed to teach in this name of Jesus and you are not allowed to do miracles. And if you keep doing this, we are going to kill you. And to prove their point, they beat them up really bad. But then we find their response to it right here in Acts chapter four. And this is Peter. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Look at this. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all? Oh, come on. Read. Come on. And they were all? With the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God. This is the third incident of an ongoing experience with the same Holy Spirit. They've already been born again many, many months ago, but they keep having these experiences. I'm submitting to you that God has much more for you than just the ability to go to heaven, that he wants to make your life here and now a life that's worth having, a life that's full of power, a life that's full of Jesus. The same things that he did, you can do through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's available to you if you want it. If you want it. And I think that that's what God is trying to do is to draw us together and say, I'm doing this today. Will you make room for me? What's the answer? Yes, Yes! come on, man. Woo. I'm on fire. All right. (laughs) Let me give you the next one. Um, Fill in the blank. We didn't know. And here's my premise on this, that you can love Jesus, you can serve Jesus, you can go to church, you can pray, you can read your Bible, you can give your money, you can sing the songs, but there are things that you simply don't know that God has for you that go beyond what your natural mind understands. And if you want more, God has more for you. So let me, let me show you this. This is Acts chapter 8. Now this is, uh, this is actually probably uh, a year, two, three past what we just read about uh, Peter and John. And so now the gospel in the church has just, man, it's growing so rapidly and all over the world, not just Jerusalem, but all over the world. So when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John, that same Peter and John, to Samaria. 
And when they arrived, they prayed for the new, what's the word? Okay, look at me real quick. These are not prospective believers. To be a believer in that day was very costly. The very minimum that it cost you, you would be ostracized from your family. But the maximum that it could cost you, it could cost you your life for being a follower of Jesus. So when it uses the word believers, this is not a mistake. This is an intensive understanding. These people are risking it all to follow God. So I want you to follow. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. What does that mean? That you can be a follower of Christ and not have this other experience that God has for you, this ongoing experience, right? They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they what? They received the Holy Spirit. So it said they're believers, but they hadn't had this ongoing experience. And I'm going to submit to you that you could be a believer who loves Jesus and simply not be aware that God has so much more for you than just going to church, singing a few songs, and maybe you go to a meeting, and maybe, you're, maybe God has, maybe this whole thing where Jesus said, I came to give life, and not just any life, but an abundant life, that thing kicks in when the Holy Spirit connects God's purpose for your life. And if you want this, it's available today. It's here. You can have this thing. God is not a respecter of persons. He has it for all of us. Now, let me show you one more example that you can be loving God and not know that he has more for you. Experiences with the Holy Spirit that you're unaware of. This happens. So the book of Acts, the first part of it is about the disciples, in particular, uh, Peter and John, the first half. The second half takes place years later with the apostle Paul. So I, the only reason I point this out to you is this is like, this is not like in three weeks time. This is, this is maybe 20 years later. Uh, Paul actually was not, he never met Jesus other than Jesus appeared to him. And I think that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul comes along way after all of these have taken place. And let's look at this story. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus, on the coast where he found several what? And then he asked this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Look at me. It's possible to be a believer and not know that the Holy Spirit has more for you than what you understand right now. Yes or no? And if it was good for them then, I say it's good for us today. The Holy Spirit has more for you than you know right now. Anybody in with me? I mean, come on, man. If God has more, would you want more? I would say yes to that. I would not go, well, somebody else's experience back in the day. To, look, my experience back in the day. We were Catholic. Catholic is like 180 from this. We were in like New Orleans, South Louisiana, Catholic people where they taught the mass in Latin so that nobody knew what was going on. <laughs> in a huge St. Rita's, huge Catholic church, lots of marble. You walk in, clack, 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 clack. you were like, oh my goodness. Like you, you didn't want to be seen. You didn't want to, you're like. Tch, tch. And I remember as a little boy in the very front of the church was a relief in marble of Moses receiving the Ten Commandments. And that very like Baroque, the beard is flowing and he's like, you know, like the wind is blowing and he's got the Ten Commandments and the rod in his hand. And I looked at that and I thought, I'm freaked out by that. <laughs> and I can remember all these years. Do you remember that? It's like massive. And I'm like, ah, don't want anything to do with that. And it was a very like, look, the only Holy Spirit that was taught that I understood was in the name of the Father 
and the Son and the you know that that was it so I, I knew who the Holy Spirit was but there was no uh, place the Holy Spirit was an it not a person who was active and alive in my life so that when I was born again the Holy Spirit was no longer just theology but practical real alive and changed everything for Pastor John and not just one day but almost every day since that time and so I would just share with you, like there are believers today who, man, they love Jesus and they're born again. And when you die, you're going to heaven, but God's got so much more. And it may just because you don't know about it. Can I just say this? You're not responsible for what you don't know. You're responsible for what you do know. And now you know. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> we were riding on an airplane one time. I shouldn't get sidetracked here. And it was packed. And Chris and I have a deal that, um, you know, a row of three, right? And so uh, I'm sitting by the window and she's in the middle. And so if it's a dude that comes on, I have to switch and sit in the middle. But if it's a lady that comes on, I can stay by the window. And so the whole plane fills up and the seat next to us is empty. And I'm like, look at the Lord loves us, man. He is <laughs> like, he is moving on our behalf today. And all of a sudden, here comes this guy running down the aisle, suitcase and coat. And I'm like, there's no place else for him to go. So I just like, I don't even, I just get up. She moves over and I sit in the middle. The guy plops down and he's loud. So I do what all of us, I put my earphones in so I can create my space where the guy can't get in. But it's like, it was like an invitation for him to interrupt me. He kept asking me questions and I'm like, and he's like, so he asked the general, what do you do? Now, I, it's not that I'm afraid to tell people I'm a pastor. I'm very bold about that, but I also know it gets a particular reaction. Most people, what they do is run the tape back in there. What have I said for the last 10 minutes <laughs> that I need to apologize for? He's a pastor. I had that happen to me more often. So a lot of times I will say I work for a nonprofit. And then unless they push, right? And so I'm just like, I work for a nonprofit. Which one? <laughs> it's called Jubilee Fellowship Church. I'm a pastor. And this guy at the top of his voice goes, you mean to tell me you're a believer in Jesus? Like real loud. And everybody, it's like, remember the old commercial when he had Hutton talk? Every, everybody goes like this. And I'm, I like look at my wife like, let's switch places real fast. We'll give you anything we've got for you to switch places with me. So I look back at the guy and I said, yes, that's right. I do believe in Jesus. And then the guy says this, you mean to tell me people who don't believe like you are going to hell? That's what he says. Like we went from, what do you do to you're a pastor to you believe that people who don't believe like you are going to hell? How would you answer that? And would you answer it? And would you whisper or would you meet his tone? And I recognize people in the plane are listening right now. So I looked at him and I said, I'm not telling you anything. You're asking me. But since you're asking a direct question, let me just say to you, I'm not the judge and the jury over those things. I don't know. I don't get to decide. But I do know this. We are not responsible for what we don't know. We are responsible for what we do know. And I know that Jesus is alive, is the Christ, and I'm a believer. And I said, and now you know. <laughs> the plane is dead silence, man. And the dude goes and turns away and shuts his mouth. 
for the rest of the ride. God is my witness. We're getting off the plane. The guy gathers his stuff, walking down the aisle, turns around, top of his lung goes, if there were more Christians like you in the world, it'd be a better place. Walks off the plane. And I swore to Chris, no more deals. I am sitting by the window from here on out. (laughs) It really happened, didn't it? It really happened. (laughs) We just didn't know. Acts 19, no, they replied, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? And they replied, the baptism of John. What kind of baptism was John's baptism? Water baptism. Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the understanding here, they were called believers and they had been baptized. But God had subsequent experiences for them that went beyond just salvation. Just beyond salvation. Look, This is not about heaven and hell. If you disagree with me and say, no, pastor, I don't want anything to do with that. It doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. You are going to heaven because it's based on the work of Jesus, not you agreeing with me. But if you say yes to what I'm saying, God has so much more for you that you don't know about right now. That's the difference between being bored or being passionate. You know what it really is? It's the difference between having a Christian lifestyle and Christian life. Lifestyle is boring. Lifestyle is nothing more than a form without power. God offers you power. It's alive and it's real and it's active and it's moving today. Um, If that's not the Holy Spirit, don't get it. Three. (laughs) When I get tired, I say things just come spilling out of my mouth. Uh, Three. Let's be honest. So, So three. Listen, pastor, does it even matter? So like if, if, if salvation's good, who cares, right? What, I mean, why do we need to do this? What difference does it make? Like everything in my life is, it's good. And maybe I do go through like some boredom and maybe my passion's not what I want it to be. And maybe it's been a long time since I felt like it was like close to me and real, but does it really matter? Uh, so let me just give you three analogies. The first one is the apostle Peter before the Holy Spirit and after the Holy Spirit. Peter's biggest problem was that he was full of bluster, full of talk. His heart was in the right place, but he had no ability to match it with his life. So like, this is what he says to Jesus. If everybody else deserts you, I will remain to the end. I will go to death with you. And Jesus looks at him in compassion, not judgment, compassion, Peter. Satan is asked to sift you, but I have prayed for you. But Peter, listen to me. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. No way, Jesus. I will never do that. And then we go through the arrest and the, 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 the incredible abuse of Jesus. And they're in the courtyard of the high priest. And three times they ask Peter, aren't you a follower? And the three times Peter denies Jesus and curses about it. And then the rooster crows and the Bible says, Jesus looked at Peter and Peter looked. Can you imagine that right there? No words. What would you say? And the Bible says he wept. So he immediately, he just, oh my God, what have I done? And he turned and he ran. And the next time we find Peter, he doesn't even talk about Jesus. He's fishing. And Jesus comes and restores him. But then we find a man, (laughs) I just read to you, who 
walks into the temple and sees a guy who's been lame his whole life and says, silver or gold have I not, but such as I have to you, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk and take your mat. Ugh. And they catch him and they threaten him. We're going to kill you. But this time he doesn't deny it. This time he takes the beating and keeps on talking. And the whole church is built on the back of the apostle Peter. Look at me real quickly. Because he went from a coward to a powerful, possible, incredible, awesome. The difference? The Holy Spirit filled Peter's life. And it changed everything. The church before the Holy Spirit and after, the church is found in one room, the upper room, all afraid of what's going on in the culture around them. The culture is hostile to them. The culture is different than them. So they're huddled down, worrying about what's going to happen in the future. And then the Holy Spirit comes and they go out of that room, kaboom. And for the last 2000 years, it's changed everything in the world. And you and I today stand at a place where the church is huddling down, afraid of a culture that's hostile to it, not knowing what to do. What's the answer? We need the Holy Spirit, kaboom, to change everything right now. We need it desperately. We think we have a political problem. We have no political problem. We have a spiritual problem in our nation today. The uniting factor of all people is the creator of all people. Listen to me. It's not money. It's not politics. It's not setting this up. It's Jesus. And the Holy Spirit makes him real. And you might go, Pastor, you're a pastor. Of course you would say that. Of course I would say that. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I am a believer and a follower. And God is moving in my life today. I know what it did to me. So my third analogy is me. I am not this guy that you see up here on this platform. Catch me off of here. I am shy. I am not good one-on-one. -on -one. In fact, if there's a crowd of people, I will sneak around the crowd of people to get down the stairs. And I say that and people go, no way are you like that. Don't, what you see up here is a gift through the Holy. When I was a senior in high school, did you go to the school that made you give a public speech before you could graduate? Did anybody go to that school, right? They don't do that anymore, but they used to torture us day after day. And so I, I said I would rather die than speak in front of anybody. So the day I was supposed to give the speech, I skipped school, failed the class, and made graduation by a hair's breadth. And, and look at me now. I, I get up here. This is my third one. I'm tired, but the problem is I love this. And I'm just getting started. Sorry. No, I, I, will, I will wind. The difference between Pastor John then and Pastor John now is the Holy Spirit in my life. It's the Holy Spirit in my life. And so by the way, I'm not saying that if you have subsequent ongoing experiences with all these, here's the outcome. Look at it. This, nothing. This is what God did for me. He has something for you. And something for you and something for you and you and you and you. And it's individual. He knows you and he made you. And I, maybe you've like, I've, got, I've heard that so many times, John, I don't even know anymore. Uh, suspend unbelief. We said we would do that. Believe right now. Believe with me right now. All right. Look, I'm closing it. What does it mean when the pastor closes his notes? Nothing. Don't be fooled by it. One iota. <laughs> my thesis and I'm done.
I try to say often and in different messages that we have a missing generation um, in church today. Not just Jubilee, but at large. So like when I look out here, um, the majority of our church is people 10 years older than me and 10 years younger than me. That's the majority. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm not looking out of here at people that are in their 20s. But by and large in the church today, that millennial group is missing today. They've walked away from it. Now, I just want to point something out. For many of them, man, they experienced the best that the church could give them. We gave them camps and we gave them retreats and we hired pastors that were youth pastors and we built buildings that specifically took care of that age group. And we've given them everything we can give them only to find that when they could make the choice, they turned and walked away from it. And what is that? What is that? And I would say to you that no retreat, no mission trip, no camp, no building will ever substitute the Holy Spirit, man. It will never, ever substitute the Holy Spirit. And the only thing that holds you in place is that at some point in your life, you experience the glory of God. You experience the power of God. You experience the reality of the Holy Spirit. And that's what, key, and it may have been a long time ago, but that's how powerful it is. It holds you in place today. And that the reason people can walk away so easily, they did all the stuff. They went to the meetings and they did the camps. And they went on mission trips and they had their youth pastor, <laughs> but they didn't touch the Holy Spirit. And that's what makes all the difference. And so I am crying out to you today that our church needs the Holy Spirit that any revival that God does in this world today has to include all generations, not just some generations. All generations. Holy Spirit, come on. I'm just at this like really great place where I, I can risk it all to say this now because I'm just at that like age. I can just like, what are you gonna, you can't throw me out, man. <laughs> Chris and I, oh my goodness. We're praying for our grandchildren right now. Oh, we're good grandparents and our children are great parents, but we are praying for our grandchildren. God, please, please don't let them grow up and not know. Don't let them grow up and just go, my papa was a preacher in a church. Let them know that the Holy Spirit is alive and active and touch their hearts while you still can. Because the sooner it happens, the better for that person. Look at me. If you're a parent, that should be the cry of your heart. Oh, God, touch my kid. And if you're a grandparent like me, that touch my family, God. It's your only hope. It's your only hope. Look at me. I'm telling you the truth right now. It is your only hope. You have no other hope. If you think we're going to build this new building and then everything's going to be great for our kids, you're, this building only allows for a bigger platform for the Holy Spirit to do something inside of our church. Otherwise, it's just bricks and mortar. It's nothing. We need the Holy Spirit. Dude, we need the Holy Spirit, man. If I could take every kid in this room and let you experience the thing that, uh, it got me. And it still holds me. Man, I know on the outside, I'm coming close to 60, but on the inside, I'm 10. <laughs> and I'm excited about God. And I'm convinced. And I'll tell anybody who will listen to me. And that's how you should be too.
Where's your passion? Where's your, where is it? When's the last time you can say, God came close and touched me? Come on, man. Put aside pretense. Put aside the way you were raised. Put aside, suspend unbelief right now. Oh, God, if it's true, remember me. Remember me. Eric, you know this. Brooke, you know this. Like the, the one weakness of preaching is that you get to this place and then you can't do anything else. God's got to do it all of a sudden. And he wants to do this more than I want to do this. I'm going to ask you to do something with me. You said you'd let me lead you. You said that. And if you were like, well, I didn't really say anything. <laughs> By proxy, I want you to do this. If I were to give you something, you would extend your hands to receive it. Will you? Please. Even if you're uncomfortable with it, please. Just for me. Just for this moment in time. Just put your hands like this. Quit worrying about all the other. Just, oh God. Please. Don't pass us by. Uh, God, we make room. God, we alter right now our clock and our schedule. We make room. We want you. And God, when we say that, what we're asking for is that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the tangible presence of God in our life through his spirit, is renewed and it's activated and it brings us into new places. So, Lord, I'm asking right now that if some of my friends in this room have called upon your name, have bowed the knee and they consider themselves to be believers, but they've never gone beyond that, oh God, <laughs> what an opportunity. What an opportunity. God, don't forget us. Oh, and for my friends, God, who love you and know exactly what I'm talking about, but God, when they talk about this, they talk about it in the distant past. I believe those things, John. Let me tell you what happened to me, and, and it's been years or decades. Oh, Man, I rejoice with you. But there's just so much more. There's just so much more. And for those of you, just like you woke up this morning and you like have been praying, God, revive us again and wake us up again. God, visit us again. And you're just like, in, you're in lockstep with me right now. Oh, we rejoice. We rejoice that we sense the Holy Spirit. It's been, spending time with us today. I love you. I need you. Fill me new again and fill me fresh again. God, I have all of me. God, sometimes I try so hard to live this life and I forget <laughs> I can't do it and it wears me out and I get so tired of trying and failing and trying and failing 
And it's at times like this that you remind us that it's your good pleasure to will and to work inside of our life and that you don't expect us to go out and do this. You expect to do it in us and through us. It's the relationship that you want. It's not all the stuff. Oh God, forgive us. Forgive us, God. Be merciful. Let your grace flow today. And Father, fill us again. Bring back our passion. Bring back our joy. <laughs> Bring back our lives, God. Give us hope. Replace fear with love. Replace unbelief with belief. God, move again in a fresh way. Excite us again to meet you, to talk to you, to, to expect you to answer when we call. God, thank you that in this moment of time, you pull us all together, God. Oh, we make room for you, Holy Spirit. We make room for you. Okay, look at me real quick. Um, like, let me pastor you. I don't want you to say my experience with the Holy Spirit happened on Sunday. Was it the 15th, 16th, 16th, Sunday, the 16th at 1236. Sorry. I give me this extra time. I want you when you go home tonight to say good night, Holy Spirit. And when you wake up in the morning, I want you to say good morning, Holy Spirit. And when you get in your car, I want you to say, Holy Spirit, drive with me in my car. And in your marriage, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit. And with your children, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want. I want you to experience the Holy Spirit all week long. Because how different would it be next Sunday if you came in here not hoping to experience, but bringing in all your experiences with the Holy What would worship be like next week? What would our prayers be like next week? What would it be like? What do we not know that we read about and we, we have to tell ourselves that used to happen. It doesn't happen today so that we can condition our minds to, okay, well, I, I guess it's just, it's not impossible, folks. God is the same today as he was then and wants to move as much today as he ever did. And if there was ever a time for God to do it, I say it's now. Why not here and why not now? Amen? So let me pastor you. I want you to do that all week long. Invite the Holy Spirit along with you and all that you do. Recognize. I know you might think that's weird to say good morning to the Holy Spirit. It's not weird when you realize we are making room for the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're acknowledging that he's there and he's present and that he wants to touch us. That's all we're doing. And it's a whole lot less weird than being afraid of the world all day long. Okay? No more fear, man. So... Uh, thank you for being patient with me and listening to me.